you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4? Today we're studying verses 31 to 44. If you're using a pew Bible and are unfamiliar with the location of Luke, it's found on page 1018 in one of those pew Bibles. And while you're finding that, uh, any kids here, kindergarten to second grade, can be dismissed to children's church if they wish. They can find that through the door over here by the piano. Kids are welcome to go to that if they'd like. Today we study Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. Let me just begin by reading that text. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who speaks, that you are not just some belief that we have privately to make us feel good in tough times, but you are the true and the living God, and that you speak to us through your word and through your spirit. And so, Lord, we look forward to you speaking to us now as we open up the Bible. We desire not just to study that word, not just to fill our heads with more data about the Bible, but, Lord, we want to know you, the living God. So, Jesus, teach us about yourself. Uh, Lord, we do remember on this Veterans Day, those veterans who are on the field right now, who are serving, who uh, are looking at the prospect of this Thanksgiving being away from family for those who are recuperating from injuries, for those families that are grieving the loss of loved ones. Lord, would you be with the servicemen and women today who, uh, who are really risking their lives to protect the freedom of others. And Lord, we just uh, pray a blessing on them. And be with us now as we study your word. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, uh, we did have uh, baptisms and testimonies in the 830 service earlier, so that's why the front looks like this. Uh, Uh, So if you're sort of new to our church, we usually have a choir loft up here and there's a bunch of pews and things. But we have the secret baptismal tank hidden underneath that we bring out during uh, baptism. So 
when I was uh, about, I think in second grade, I was trying to remember the exact year, but I, I was in um, uh, a judo class. I took it for a couple months, and uh, so yes, I technically am a lethal weapon, you know. Uh, I was in this judo class, and, and I, I don't remember a lot of it, but I, I remember being slammed on the ground a lot, repeatedly. I also remember very vividly our teacher, uh, Sensei, is what we call him. It's just the Japanese term for teacher. And we just, I don't know his name, he's just Sensei to me. And he was this uh, sort of short guy, real wide, stocky. He had jet black hair, glasses, and piercing eyes. And this guy just had a command presence. He had an air of authority about him. And you just didn't, you know, when Sensei was in the room, it was just kind of like, ooh, you know. He, I don't know what it was, he just had this, this power that, that, you know, that he had over us. And he had this room full of kids, you know, first, second, third graders. And, and I'll tell you what, he ran that thing like he was crisp. If he said, drop and give me 20, everyone did it. And if he said, stand at attention, we all did that. I mean, it was, you didn't mess around with sensei. Uh, but not only did he have power sort of in his presence and in his words, but he could exercise that power when need be, as I found out one time. I was, uh, my, uh, class was over or something, I was waiting for my mom to pick me up. And I went into this bathroom. I uh, went into the bathroom, and these two older boys followed me in. And they were your typical bullies. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm against the wall, and they're, you know, coming to do whatever they're going to do to torment me. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm done. I mean, all this judo I supposedly learned is fairly useless at this point. <laughs> and then the door opens, and it's Sensei. And Sensei walks over, and, and I'm guessing that these boys must have been troublemakers, or they must have been known to be bullies, because the next thing I know, like, like that, one of the kids is on his knees, and, he, and Sensei is pushing his face into the toilet <laughs> while he lectures him about bullying. You know? And I'm like, that's right. You don't mess with me and Sensei. That's right. Messing with the wrong second grader. <laughs> you know. Today we're going to talk about the authority of Christ. The power and the authority of Jesus. That's the whole point of today's text. Uh, we've been studying the ministry of Jesus, and Luke wants to emphasize for us the sensei-esque power and supremacy of our Lord. And in fact, if you look at the text, uh, verse 31 and 32, starts right off, and he tells us what the story is going to be about. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had... Authority. Okay, so if you have a pen or a pencil, just underline that word authority. That's the main teaching point of the next two stories we're going to read. That's the main thing that Luke wants us to go home with, is to recognize the authority and the power and sovereignty of Jesus. <clears throat> and he does that by illustrating his teaching authority through two uh, stories. In the first one, we see the authority of Jesus in his authority over the powers of darkness, over the demonic. So that's the first story. Verse 33. It says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Um, this is a, a, one of these kind of interesting stories, one of these interesting events. You know, I, it's one of these stories that I've read many times and you kind of get familiar with, yeah, Jesus cast out demons. But you know, I, I have to, whenever I read familiar stories in the Bible, I try to discipline myself to step back and think about, you know, what would it be like to be in that situation? <laughs> You're talking a, sort of an orderly Jewish synagogue service, kind of excited because Jesus is here. And then in the middle of it, this guy just starts, well, this demon through this guy starts yelling and screaming and challenging Jesus. 
I, I read a story in a, in a book, um, maybe you've read this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. Uh, it's a great book. It's, it's about a church in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And this church was like about dead and gone. I mean, it was almost ready to close the doors. And God, in his mercy and grace, uh, sort of breathed new life into this church, and especially through prayer. Is, I think the main point of the book, the main thing I took away from it, was just the, the importance of prayer in the local church and how by the people just calling out to God, God has been using them in the city to, to bring people to him. And uh, they had an experience like this. We're in the middle of a worship service. Some person started, you know, some demons started uh, speaking up. Apparently it was a Tuesday night worship service and they were praying and they were inviting people to come down the aisle for prayer. And uh, this, he, Jim says this little woman, he calls her Diana, she's five foot one inches tall. This is kind of a little petite person coming down the aisle. And uh, so they say, okay, let's pray for her. And they start praying over her. And he says, when the mention of Jesus' name was brought up, there was an explosion of rage and screaming. He says, the five-foot-one-inch girl lunged for my throat, throwing back the two friends who had helped her down the aisle. Before I knew what was happening, I'd been body slammed against the front edge of the platform. Diana ripped the collar right off my shirt as if it was a piece of tissue. And a hideous voice from deep inside her began to scream, you'll never have her, she's ours, get away from her. And then the girl started swearing. And so some people in the congregation stood and began to pray. Other people gasped. Some people covered their eyes. Meanwhile, the deacons jumped up and tried to pull her off me. And despite her size, she fought us all off with tremendous strength. Finally, uh, he, he prayed over her and he said, Shut up in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the church began to pray and pray. And he says, within a few minutes, the girl was totally set free. She stopped cursing. Her body relaxed. We relaxed our grip on her. And she gently stood up to raise her hands and begin praising the Lord. Soon she was singing with the rest of us, Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow, as tears streamed down her cheeks, ruining her makeup. And here's the postscript. Diana has been serving the Lord for ten years now at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. So, you know, uh, here's the thing. Satan is real. Demons are real. And, and I read that story because I think that probably a lot of us, when we read stories like this in the Bible, you know, we're like, yeah, 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 that's back then before they understood what mental illness was and they called it demons, but now we know what it is. And so we're, you know, you know, we have OnStar and we have Wi-Fi and, you know, we have Prozac, so we don't believe in demons. And, uh, but, but, you know, this is kind of a, a mistake that, that Western culture has fallen into. Uh, Western culture has a religion. It's called materialism. And by materialism, it's the belief that the material world that you can see and touch is the only reality there is. And that as much as a religion is Christianity. To, to say I don't believe in God and I just believe in the world I can see and test with a stethoscope and a telescope and a microscope it is a religion. And we have this idea that there is no spiritual realm. Now, people in third world countries, uh, they're often more in tune with the reality of the spiritual world because there's a lot more open occultism, occult, open shamanism. And, and so there, you know, you talk about demons and spirits, they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we know. Uh, but it's only here in the West that... That, uh, that we've sort of buried that. But it is real. The Bible teaches very clearly that there are such things as demons, that there is Satan. He is a real being. And in fact, he's called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So somehow, uh, in some way I don't understand, Satan is at work uh, inciting and encouraging and uh, fomenting sin and evil in this world. It's a reality. And, and so we have to kind of remember that. It, it makes me think of uh, C.S. Lewis's famous quote about devils. Maybe you've heard this before. I, I often bring this to my own mind when I think about this topic. C.S. Lewis said there are two mistakes we can make when it comes to this topic. One mistake is to develop an unhealthy interest in Satan and the demonic. 
And are there churches that do that? Yeah. You know, some churches, they're so into identifying the spirits and binding the spirits, and you have a spirit of this, and you have a spirit of that, and there's a spirit over this town, and, you know, they talk more about the enemy than they do about Jesus. And it's like, hey, you know, let's remember who's on top here. It's Christ. He's the one we're worshiping. But I think Lewis says there's another error you can make. One error is to take an unhealthy interest in these things. The other error is to stop believing in them altogether. And which one are we probably more likely to fall into as Western, you know, civilized, uh, technologicalized people? I mean, we're more likely to stop believing that these things exist altogether, which is exactly what Satan wants from us. Because once we stop believing, once we stop understanding that we are in a spiritual battle as Christians and as people, then we, we will stop being wise to his schemes. And so we, we have to be aware of these things. We, we have to understand that, that these things are real. Uh, and so it happened. This demon speaks up. And he says, Ha! What do you want with us? Literally, that means something like, um, you, you know, what to you and to me is what it literally is in Greek. And it means something like, leave me alone. Mind your own business. Uh, you know, you, we don't have anything to do with each other. Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm doing just fine here, Jesus. Leave me alone. But, but he's not going to be left alone. Jesus, sensei, has come into the bathroom. Okay? And now Satan's going, Ah, leave me alone! Uh, you know, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Yeah, people don't even know Jesus is the Lord, but the devils do. They know who He is. And I love this question. This is a great question, sandwiched in the middle. Have you come to destroy us? Yes! <laughs> He's come to destroy you! That's the point. Christ has come to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. Yes, Satan has an authority in this world to a relative limited extent. He does work in this world, but the point of Christ's coming was, understand people, it was a hostile invasion. It was an incursion against Satan's realm. And all of the effects of evil from the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, disease and death and, and Satan's influence and all these things, Christ is bringing the kingdom of God to bear against them. And so he's overthrowing the works of darkness. He's overthrowing the agents of evil. They cannot stand against him. And so Jesus is coming to destroy the work of the devil, the Scriptures tell us. That's why he came, to undo all of those things that sin brought into the world. So yes, he's come to destroy you. And that's why he says in verse 35, he just says, Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. He doesn't debate the devil. He doesn't argue. He doesn't go back and forth. He doesn't banter. He just says, shut up, get out. That's it. Shut up, get out. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Jesus has all authority, even over the devil. Which is kind of ironic, because just a chapter before, uh, or just at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil. The devil said, if you worship me, I'll give you all this authority. Jesus didn't, and now Jesus has all the authority, and now he's telling the demons you know, where to go. Now he's talking to them like they're dogs. Sit down, roll over, get out, you know. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you know, the devils are like dogs. They're just running and obeying the Master because Christ has all authority. And if the authority of Christ is not only seen in the fact that he can command demons, but also notice the ease with which he does it. I think that's probably what's most striking in this passage. It's just a command. Shut up, get out. Right? There were, interesting, there were exorcists at this time. Uh, in fact, it was sort of uh, kind of a conventional wisdom in Jesus' day that, that the Jewish exorcists were the best exorcists. But, you know, the, the way they applied their trade in those days was it was very elaborate. There were incantations. 
there were rituals, there were talismans, there were all these fetishes and things that they used to, you know, to try to work the demons out of the people. And I think what's so remarkable about Jesus' story is just how unremarkable it is. It's just, go. You know, you're not going to get a sequel to The Exorcist from this story. It's too boring. Nothing exciting happens here. It's just a command. Shut up, get out, go. And he obeys. And so the authority of Jesus is seen not only in the fact that he can command demons, but just with the ease. It's like perfunctory. And then the guy falls down, he's okay, and that's it. It's not even a battle. There's no contest. There's no grappling. There's no debate. There's no you know, dramatic... <laughs> there's nothing. It's just the Lord has spoken. And just as God said, let there be light, he says, go on, get out. It happens. Because he's the Lord. That's the point. This is not a story about the spookiness of demons. This is a story about the authority and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And that's, what, that's how the people respond. But what, what was it struck the people? Verse 36, All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, He gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about Him spread through the surrounding area. Christ is Lord. Christ has all authority, and we see that authority in his power over the, the, the realm of evil. And you know, Christ is still the sovereign Lord today, and Satan is still alive today. Is he defeated? Yes. Is he destroyed? Not quite yet. I, I've heard the analogy that, that when Jesus came the first time, it was like D-Day. The beachhead was formed in this world. And when Jesus comes the second time, it'll be like V-E Day, the final victory. And we live between D-Day and V-E Day. The outcome is certain. It's already begun. The kingdom of God is advancing. But the evil one is still at work in this world. And we still, we still experience his work. Um, do we always experience it in these kind of dramatic, overt manifestations? No. I've never seen someone who's possessed to my knowledge. And you know, I hope that I go through all my years of ministry without ever having to see that. But, do I experience the work of Satan on a daily level? Yeah. Because his typical bread-and-butter work is not this kind of overt, spectacular stuff. It's the covert, day-by-day, testings that he gives to us. Uh, And specifically, I find in Scripture, there are at least two major ways in which Satan comes at us today. The first is temptation. That's his his line of work, is to tempt us. Not like the devil made me do it, but like uh, Jeremy did it and Satan encouraged him. I can sin on my own without anyone's help, thank you very much. I'm a sinful man. I have sinful desires and impulses and reactions and responses within me. What Satan does in temptation is, is kind of fans those desires and, and, and lies to me to make me think that maybe if I act on my sinful impulses, it'll actually turn out good. And he says, you know, it's not so bad. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to love it. And, and so I follow along with that deception. I'm, I'm the hungry donkey. He just has to have the carrot on the string and go like this. You know, but, but my appetite for sin is, is my own and he kind of leads me along and I... I'm tempted, and I follow along, and I become the brute animal. That's the way temptation works. But the reality, folks, is that Jesus is still in charge. And Christ has authority even in those times of temptation. Satan does not have the upper hand. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Jesus is Lord. And so even in those times of temptation, when it's acute and it's fierce, when you're at a party, you know, and the kids, you know, someone breaks out a joint and it starts going around the circle... Or when you're at a, a corporate party and you know, you're married, your spouse isn't there, and someone from the opposite sex comes over and starts hitting on you. Or, or when you know, something really bad has happened in your life and you're, and you're starting to feel fear and you're starting to feel terror and starting to be consumed with doubt and worry. 
believing that, that you know, things are out of control and that God's not going to be able to help you. Or, or, or when you're tempted by um, greed, you know, and you just cannot stop thinking about the iPod you want to buy, or the new car you want to buy, or the boat, or the dress, or whatever. I mean, that's greed. It's temptation. And, and Satan comes at us like that. And it's in those moments that we need to pray the prayer the Lord taught us. Lord, deliver me from evil. And call upon God's power in those moments to, to overcome the temptations of the evil one. See, so often we just try to go alone or we try to justify our behavior. And the last thing I think to do is to pray, to stop and say, Lord, right now in this moment, if you don't help me, I'm just going to fall off this cliff again. Lord, strengthen me to walk in obedience. And he's faithful. The other tactic Satan has is temptation. The other one is accusation. I call this as one-two. So one is temptation to get you to sin. And then when you sin, accusation. You stink. Look what you did. You, look what you did again. Look what you thought again. Look how you responded again. Look, oh, come on. And you're going to go back to church? You've been gone there four weeks now. I don't think you can go back. What are those people going to think? They're going to know something's wrong with you. They're going to know, and there is something wrong with you. I mean, you know, can you really call yourself a Christian? You know, it just goes on and on like this. And, and you start thinking, oh, I'm not. I just, I'm just going to go to church. If I go to church, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit there because, you know, I'm... It's like, no, 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 no. That's when I need to call upon the power of Christ again and say, Jesus, You are my righteousness. You are my Savior. And it's because of who You are in me that I can stand before the Father without guilt and without shame. And so even when I fall on my face at times, I need to get back up through Christ's power because of who Jesus is. And in Christ, push back against the attacks of the evil one. Because He's alive, He's real, but Christ is real too. And Jesus is in charge. He has authority. So we see his authority over the devils. We also see his authority in the next story over disease. So we have two illustrations of the authority of Christ over devils and disease, over spirits and over sickness. Look at verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. That's uh, Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So here we see another story of Jesus speaking and something going away. He's rebuked Satan. He's rebuked a disease. And in both cases, we see a healing takes place. And again, the emphasis is the authority and power of Christ. In fact, uh, there's a, a word there. Look at verse 39. It says, so he bent over and rebuked the fever. You see that word rebuke? In Greek... That is the exact same word that occurs in verse 35. Look back at verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. See that phrase, said sternly? That's the same Greek word. So really, it's Jesus rebukes the devil, and then he rebukes the fever. So Luke, in Greek anyway, is trying to signal to us a parallelism. He's trying to tell us that, that Jesus is in charge, and he can rebuke this, and he can rebuke that. And just as he kicked the demons out, he can kick disease out. He can heal disease. And again, this is one of those areas where we as Westerners who believe that unless I can see it, it's not real kind of attitude. You know, we read these stories and we're like, Jesus did miracles, he healed people. I just have a hard time swallowing this. But it's interesting, I've raised this point before, but it, what's kind of fascinating to me is when you read um, literature outside of the Bible, but, but contemporaneous with the Bible, and you read the critics of Jesus who critiqued his ministry, what they say about him is fascinating. You know what they call him? They call him a sorcerer and a magician. 
And what I find that's fascinating is that the opponents of Jesus from the same time period don't say he didn't do miraculous things. They just say he did on the basis of evil. But I, I think it's fascinating that even the people of that time who were against him, who rejected Christianity, still could not deny the power of his miracles. And so, so there's some historical evidence pointing to what we know is true from God's word. Uh, Christ healed. And does Jesus heal today? Yes. Christ can heal people today. He's still the great physician. We can still pray to him, and he actually heals people. Uh, I've seen this myself as as a pastor and as an elder in the church. Um, One of the things the Bible tells us is that if people are sick, they should come to the elders for prayer. Uh, In fact, let me just read that verse with you. Put a bookmark here in Luke 4. Luke 4. And turn to James chapter 5. It's on page 1199, 1199 in the Pew Bible. James chapter 5. And here's a, a teaching on one of the jobs that elders have. James chapter 5, look at verse 14. Page 1199. James 5:14. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I have to say, you know, as an elder, we have to do a lot of things in the church. There's late meetings where we talk about policies and procedures, and there's things that aren't so fun. But let me tell you, one of the best parts of being an elder, one of the perks, has been the times that people in the church have come to us and said, would you pray over me in, in conformity with James 5 and anoint me with oil? And the elders get to pray. It's like the elders are at their best. They're praying for the flock. They're caring for the flock. And have we seen people healed? Yeah, most of the time. I mean, in some cases, uh, a few cases, it's dramatic. It's one of those where like, the doctors go, I don't know what happened. You're a very lucky person. This is amazing. Most of the time, you know, it's, then they go and they take chemotherapy or they go have their surgery and, and God uses those means to heal. Because here's the thing, people. All healing is from God. I don't care if it's a miraculous, wow, I can't believe it thing or whether it's from chemotherapy or amoxicillin. It's, it's all from God. Every healing comes from God. So, so I don't, I don't, I'm not one of these people who say, you shouldn't go to the doctors, you should just have faith. No, 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 no. You have faith whether you go to the doctors or not. God uses all kinds of means to heal. But all healing is from God. The point is that my faith needs to be in Christ. And so when I find out that I'm sick, when I find out that I may have something and I have to go in for a test, the first thing I should do is not hit the Internet and do a Google search for my purported disease and learn everything I can. I call up Uncle Fred who had it and call up you know, Susie who had it. The first thing I need to do is just stop and pray. Say, Jesus, you have my body in your hands. You, you have my life in your hands. Heal me. If it be your will, Lord Jesus, you do it. And then go on the internet and go to your doctors and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and just trust God, though, because our faith is not in the power of medicine, although it's a blessing God's given to us. Our faith is in Christ. And even when medicine works, it's because God allows and works through all of these things. He is sovereign. Christ is our healer. And so we as his people need not fear anything because Christ is sovereign. He's the king. He is the Lord. He's sensei. And he has broken into this world and he has taken the forces of evil and sticking them in the toilets. And he is rescuing us from our sins and from those things that oppress us. To be a Christian is to live in freedom. 
You know, enter into the freedom that God has for you. Live without fear and live without doubt. And even when you're in the midst of a struggle and the prayer isn't answered right away, continue to walk in faith knowing that God is sovereign. Because sometimes he doesn't heal right away. Sometimes he doesn't heal at all. What are we supposed to do with that? You know, I had a pastor when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, and he was awesome. His name was Frank, Pastor Frank. I love this guy. I mean, one of the reasons I think I sort of had a vision to become a pastor was what I saw in him. And he, you know, he as a person kind of inspired me. And it was something about his, his ministry. Um, but uh, Frank got a disease. Uh, he had some problems with his liver. We prayed for him, we prayed for him, we prayed for him. He was a godly man, and he died. So, you know, like, where does that fit with Jesus is in charge of disease? And it's interesting. Look how the story ends. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Notice the ending of the story. Verse 42. Luke chapter 5, verse 42. It says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. Literally, they seized him. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Isn't that fascinating? Why didn't Jesus just hang out in Capernaum for you know, a month and heal every single person who needed to be healed? Why didn't he go throughout all Israel and make sure that he went to every village and every single person needed to be healed? But we don't get a sense that he did. We get a sense that he preached and healed some people and he went somewhere else. So, so it wasn't necessarily this thorough, I'm going to stay for a year and make sure everyone here has every need met. So that means that maybe some people were there who were still sick when Jesus left Capernaum. And it, so you kind of wonder, what, what's it all about? And again, it's the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, not only over disease and over sickness and everything, but he's also sovereign in, in his ministry. And Jesus did the will of the Father, and he obeyed the Father, which doesn't always make sense to us. And I think, you know, by way of analogy, Christ doesn't always heal. We say, why could that be? And I think the answer is because there's something of more importance that Christ is working on, and that is our hearts, our faith, our souls. My spirit is more important than my PSA. Okay? My, my eternal destiny is more important than my thyroid glands. That's the important thing. And sometimes God allows us to go through trials and fire so that He can have sovereignty over our hearts and our hearts love them. I uh, was at Thanksgiving service last night. For those of you who weren't there, it was a beautiful time. We have a, a yearly Thanksgiving meal we did this year. It was, it was great. We had everyone together and we all ate together. And then at the end, we had about 45 minutes where people could just stand up and say a thank you for whatever God had done in their life this last year. And different people gave different stories. And some of the stories were dramatic. You know, one lady stood up and said, you know, two years ago, my daughter was killed by a drunk driver. Uh, another lady stood up and said, um, you know, I, I'm lucky to be here. You know, I've had brain surgery and hemorrhaging. You know, I'm, my brain, I'm, you know, I've lost my, my family. I've lost my income. I'm kind of destitute. Another person stood up and said, you know, my, my husband had a near-fatal heart attack this year, and uh, a week later my mom died. And you know, I mean, you step back and at one level you say, yeah, that's just the stuff of life. This stuff happens to all kinds of people all the time. What's remarkable is what all those people said next, is that they all then stood up and said, and I want to thank God for what he's done in my life through those trials. 
I want to thank God for the things He's taught me about Him and the ways He's matured and transformed me through those trials. That is miraculous. That is God working in our hearts, even through trials, and exerting His sovereignty, not by healing my aches and pains, but by healing my soul and making me more like Him. Jesus wants your souls. He wants all of you. He wants your hearts. Have you given your life to Christ? What are you holding back? Surrender yourself to Him. Enter His kingdom and experience His blessings. Let's pray. Jesus, we hail you this morning as the conquering king. You are the hero, the champion. You are our defender. You are our victorious warrior. And we thank you, Jesus, that you kicked open the bathroom door and you came and you rescued us from our sins. Lord Jesus, if you hadn't come after me, I never would have turned to you because I was too into myself. But I thank you that even at a young age, you came in and grabbed me and pulled me out and overthrew the powers of sin and darkness that held me in bondage. And I thank you, Lord, that so many of us here have been rescued from sin and death. We've seen that you, Lord Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Christ, that if there's anyone here who is in a fierce battle with temptation, and Lord, this week, when we all come up against temptations, I pray that we would call upon your power to overcome them. Lord, I pray that we would not listen to the devil's accusations, but that we would form our identity based on the Word of God. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here who's sick, that you would heal them. Lord, maybe there's some here who do need to call the elders. Help us to believe your word. Help us to believe that, that you are sovereign over disease and over everything in this life. And whatever it is, Lord, that's scaring us this week or freaking us out this week, I just pray, God, that we would trust your sovereignty, that we would have a sense of your great peace on us today so that, Lord, we can go out into a chaotic, broken world and we we'll go out centered and at peace and with your shalom in our hearts so that others might see in us the glory of Christ. We pray this in His name.